0: Many people feel very lonely during the Christmas season. Sometimes as another year is winding down, we ourselves are apprehensive about the coming year. Or we recognize we did not accomplish all that we want to. Or there's deep feelings of sadness as we remember those that we have lost. We can be discouraged by our current circumstances, by difficult relationships in our families or a job that's unfulfilling. So this question about your perspective is not really just about the Christmas season. It's really a question about our lives in general. What is your perspective this morning? Are you distracted from what God has done as we remember the incarnation of the Son of God? Or are you discouraged by current circumstances in your life? What is God's remedy? We'll see that in Mary's song this morning as we read Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. Look down with me at verse 46. This is God's word to us, his people. And Mary said, Consider this text together. Father, we come before you rejoicing in the revelation of your son, in the revelation of your own person and character in this text. And yet we confess our need of your help. We are dependent on your spirit who's revealed these things to us to open our eyes, to open our ears, that we might hear and know. And love the God, these pages, these words, this song reveals. Give us grace then to hear well. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning will teach us that God exercises his mercy and power for the humble who fear him. God exercises his mercy and power for the humble who fear him. As we've worked our way through Luke 1 over the last several weeks, we have seen God's grace promised in the messages that the angel Gabriel delivered to Zachariah and Mary. We saw that Zachariah doubted. He wanted a sign further than what he had in the angel standing in front of him. But Mary, we are told, believed. And Elizabeth called her blessed for that belief. In our text today, we'll see Mary's humble song of praise as she rejoices in the God who gives grace to the humble. So as we consider this passage, we'll focus on two main points expressed in Mary's song. First, the God who regards the humble. Mary begins her song by declaring, by exalting, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is Hebrew parallelism. It's a poem. It's a song and stating this twice is saying to the depth of my being, my soul, my spirit, all that is within me rejoices in my God. The word translated magnify here expresses the idea of declaring something or someone to be great. And with God, it's recognizing his greatness and proclaiming it. This is the peak of worship because it's out loud. It's verbal. God doesn't require our praise. He doesn't need it. He calls us to praise him because we need it. We need the remembrance. And this song is given to us For this purpose. She is expressing her joy in God's actions as her savior. I want you to notice right away that Mary clearly understands. She is an undeserving recipient of grace. There is no lack of clarity in her mind or in her words. She clearly recognizes she is a sinner. And she needs a savior. And God is that savior. There's no confusion as to her status before a holy God. And she rejoices that God is her personal savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She praises him wholeheartedly. The first four verses of this song are focused on what God is doing for her. Notice those pronouns. He's been kind to me. My spirit rejoices. Now, how are we to magnify God as Mary does here? What do we learn from her praise? Certainly, we can't enlarge God in a literal way, but he can take greater prominence and priority in our hearts and minds. We magnify God when we meditate or focus on some specific aspect of his character or grace that he's shown to us. Pastor R. Kent Hughes writes, the fuller our knowledge of his greatness, the greater our ability to enlarge him. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that if your praise is weak and uninspired and unmotivated, it's because your knowledge and understanding of who he is is deficient and small. Mary knows her God. The remedy is to spend time getting to know your God. She's invested time getting to know and love his character. And this shows up in her praise. This song is so God-centered. She provides her reason for praise in verse 47. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. This verb for looked should be precious to our ears. Our God is paying attention. He's paying attention to you. He sees and knows the condition of our hearts. She rejoices because the God of heaven, the supreme commander of the universe, is paying attention to her. This teenage girl from nowhere. This insignificant one. Now, what are the characteristics of her praise that should inform our own worship? First, our praise should be saturated with Scripture. It's incredible to recognize that this hymn of praise is coming from a 13 to 15-year-old woman. Now, our best guess is that this is her age. She's somewhere between 13 and 16. The overwhelming of Bible scholars and historians tell us this would have been her age based on common custom of that time. And notice every phrase in her song is an allusion to another passage of Old Testament scriptures. She quotes from the Psalms, from Hannah's praise in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, and from Leah's praise recorded in Genesis Some Bible teachers have have added it up. She may be either quoting or alluding to almost 20 different passages from the Old Testament. This is a teenager. Though she had no Bible app, no completed copy of the scriptures, no commentaries or books on worship, her praise is filled with scripture. Her family must have spent time with the people of God, learning the word of God, in the synagogue. As a family, they very likely spent time together in the word at home. Every young Israelite would have been taught the songs of Hannah and Deborah and David and would have sung them together at holiday festivals. Yet even though scripture was a regular part of her family's culture, Mary embraced the truths of God's word for herself. This is what's coming out of her. It's what she's taken in. And fully embraced. These truths are clearly embedded in her heart and mind. Just think of it. We're told that she takes days. That the trip to Elizabeth's house. Her relative would have taken three or four days. These truths are what she's meditating on. I appreciate how J.C. Ryle describes her. She gives expression with her lips to what has been treasured in her heart. And what has been treasured in her heart is God's Word. Isn't that a key application for us today? We might know lots of information and facts about the Bible. But are we learning more and more about the God of the Bible? This book is the revelation of God. It's not a fact book to memorize. Is our grasp of his promises growing as we learn to rest more and more In him? Do we have the depth of understanding of his ways that they would come out of our hearts into a song, a poem like this? Is this where our mind goes when we think through and evaluate the events of our life? If you're looking for a way to grow in this area, consider memorizing Mary's song. Consider spending some time and committing this poem to memory. It's filled with praise for the works of God. It counsels our hearts to humbly respond to God's grace. I heard one pastor especially encourage the ladies in his church family to meditate and memorize these truths. Yet this is an excellent text on which every believer should meditate and memorize. It's a model response of God's favor to the humble, to sinners who need his mercy. Even though she was young, Mary had embraced these truths for herself. Young person, it's not enough for you to know God as your parents' savior. It's not enough to be content attending your own parents' church. Christ must be your own. She owned her own faith. Does that describe you whether you're young or old? Are you taking things that you've been told for granted? Do you know the God of this book? While there's much joy for Mary in the pronouncement that she will bear the Messiah, this also, just consider how great of trials she will have because of him. She'll be looked down on for this birth for the rest of her life. There is no human father Many believe her to be guilty of grave sexual sin. She'll bear great shame. Simeon in the next chapter will prophesy that she will suffer much because of how he will be treated. She will watch her precious son die So in spite of all the difficulties of her circumstances, the strangeness of this pregnancy, this is unheard of in human history. And the incredible difficulties now introduced into her life, this is how she responds with praise to her God. This is the same remedy to our distraction and discouragement, if that's our perspective this morning. Meditation on the character And promises of God. Second, our praise should be characterized by humility. We see her praise characterized by humility. She says in verse 48, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's highlighting her own humility in two ways. Or it's highlighted by her song, by her response. First, she's demonstrating that she is insignificant socially. She's recognizing there's no good in her. There's nothing in her that has warranted God's favor. She's a nobody. She's from an insignificant town. Her family holds no place of distinction in the community like her cousin Elizabeth, the wife of a priest. She's young, a girl with no status, influence, or social standing. This is not who the king of kings should be born to. But God doesn't always work through whom we would expect, does he? We see that again and again in the scriptures. God doesn't call people because they are great, but because he is great. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Remember in the story of David, Samuel and Jesse are completely caught off guard that God would choose the youngest of Jesse's sons. Not even godly Samuel is expecting this. God is a God of surprising grace. He delights to use those who humbly take him at his word. But secondly, Mary is humbly recognizing that she deserves nothing from the Almighty God. She has no claim upon his kindness or favor. God does not have to be doing this for her, and yet he is. That's why she explodes into this song of praise. It's undeserved. She's overwhelmed by his kindness. She recognizes her need of a savior. She has no thought that she is in of herself a source of divine blessing. Now, it's significant at this point to recognize in the passage, you can scan your eyes over it again and notice that Mary says nothing specific about her baby, about her son. Though this is the reason for her praise, she does not mention it explicitly That's kind of strange, isn't it? Why doesn't she talk about the baby? Well, at least in some points, she's not focused on the gift, but the giver. Her desire here is to express her wholehearted praise to her God, to magnify and praise his greatness. Pastor Philip Reichen states, she wanted God to be seen to be great, not herself. And the way to show this was not about her, that she was not thinking about what God was doing in her life, but she's enlarging her vision to see the majesty of God. She did not dwell on her own happy circumstances, but rejoiced in the being and character of God. You see, this is spiritually mature Worship. It's certainly never wrong to give God thanks and praise for what he's doing to count our blessings. That's a good and wise thing to do. Yet sometimes even our worship can be self-centered. As if the really important thing is what God has done for us. Like we're the center of attention. One well-known author asks, what is the deepest root of your joy? What God gives to you? Or what God is to you. God graciously gives us a greater realization that our ultimate need is for more of his word. More of his ways. More of him. The necessity of humility is a common thread throughout these birth narratives. It can be seen throughout all of scripture. We read again and again in the Bible, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus comes to those who recognize their need. His grace is available to all who will receive him in humble faith. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The psalmist writes, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So Augustine wrote centuries ago, for those who had learned God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second, and humility is the third. Humility, it has been rightly said, is not thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. A believer marked by humility will hold deeply to the conviction that God has been far more gracious to me than I could ever deserve. That is a continual thought running through their head, through their mind, This gospel truth then shapes how he views himself and others. So are you cultivating humility in your life like this? How can you do that? By remembering that you deserve nothing from the God of heaven except his wrath and judgment and punishment for your sins. Are you reminding yourself of what you deserve from God? Yet because of his incredible grace, he's shown you mercy instead. Third, our praise should be filled with gratitude. Notice Mary's gratitude. Verse 49 gives one of her reasons for praise. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And his name and holy is his name. You see how this perspective changes everything? Viewing life through a Godward lens. If you think you deserve something from God, you can become easily discouraged, angry, and even bitter when he doesn't give it to you, when circumstances don't work your way. But when you recognize you deserve absolutely nothing from him, you're grateful for his abundant grace. Your eyes are lifted off yourself and your temporal priorities. Mary's circumstances in her life will be hard, but with the eyes of faith, she believes that God is doing amazing things in and through her. An American medical doctor traveled to mainland China to serve as a medical missionary. As he visited remote villages in the mountainous regions, he was sometimes shocked by the appalling living conditions that he saw. And yet he was also reminded of the elevation that comes through knowing Christ He wrote, as I felt disgusted by the dirt and poverty or felt angry as I saw begging street children with injuries or wounds likely afflicted by their owners. I also recalled that it was into a poor and backward corner of the Roman Empire that our Savior came. His arrival announcement was given to the marginalized and he was accused of spending his time with the wrong people. The greatness of his heart's love is seen in all this, for our nicest dwellings are but a dump compared to his heavenly dwelling. And he bypassed all that to visit the neediest. Rehearsing what God has done for you in Christ pushes aside, pushes out the distractions and our discouragements and leads to grateful praise. So God not only looks with favor on the humble, but secondly, he likewise disregards or rejects or resists the proud who are self-sufficient. Now notice who is humbled here in verses 51 through 53, where Mary describes them with three different words. She calls them the proud, the mighty, and then the rich. You see, because God alone deserves all praise and power and glory, he will overthrow everyone who opposes his will. It may not be immediately, but that is promised. He humbles the pride of intellect in verse 51. He humbles the pride of position in verse 52. And he humbles the pride of wealth In verse 53, these are all the things that we as human beings are attracted to, that we think will make us significant, important, valuable. Frequently in the Old Testament, the enemies of God are described as the arrogant, the self-sufficient, those unwilling to acknowledge his sovereignty. Again, this poem is not addressing primarily the temporal social conditions of individuals. But instead, their spiritual attitude toward God. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote of this text, Can you not see that everything that man boasts in, his intellect, his understanding, his power, his social status, his influence, his righteousness, his morality, his ethics, every one of them is utterly demolished by this Son of God. Think of the multitude of biblical examples of the downfall of pride. Mary would have known all of these from her lessons in the scriptures. Men like Pharaoh and Haman, Saul and Absalom were all cast down by their pride. One ruler stands out in my mind. Nebuchadnezzar. Remember his story. We read in Daniel 4 of his self-exaltation and God's response. This self-centered, self-absorbed ruler believed that all of life was all about him. And yet in an instant, in a moment, while those words were still in his mouth, God humbled him in a dramatic way. Now being out of his right mind, he descended onto all fours and began behaving like a beast, eating grass in a field, He's brought low in this shocking and dramatic manner. After seven long years, God restored him to his senses. And he had learned the lesson of humility the hard way. Listen to what he says. At the end of of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? The last words we read of his he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know, our own pride so often is revealed by our independence, our prayerlessness, the conflicts with others, both within our own minds and that come out of our own mouths when we ignore him, when we shove him into the corner of our lives, when we treat him like some kind of cosmic genie only to be consulted when we have need of him, or when we use him or invoke his name to make ourselves sound more spiritual in certain company, we are in the same danger as Nebuchadnezzar. This is certainly not the humility being encouraged by Mary's example and praise. D.L. Moody once said, Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. By contrast, like ripples in a pond, Mary's praise continues to expand outward. Notice how in the beginning of her song she talks about herself, but then she transitions to those who fear God. And by the end, she'll talk about Israel and those who are blessed through Abraham forever. That's all people who will put their faith in God like he did. So our praise should be focused on the expanse of God's God's grace. In verses 50 through 55, Mary's praise moves from being focused on God's work to his work for all people. Again, she highlights his actions. It's about what he is doing. It's not about her. Notice the verbs and the subject. The subject is always God and God continues to act in two ways. To bring down the proud, to exalt the humble. Now, there's no me-centeredness here for Mary. She realizes that God has a bigger plan in mind. Again, think of it as ripples in a pond expanding outward. She recognizes God is doing something through her, not just in her and for her. He'll send his son into the world through her. God is keeping all his promises to Abraham and his people and all who humbly believe in him through her child. And remember, this is after 400 years of silence. What confidence she has in her God. It's both helpful and meaningful at this point to notice a change in the verb tenses, beginning in verse 51. If you look back at your text, you'll see how that happens. In verses 46 through 50, the verbs are primarily in the present tense. For instance, his mercy is for those who fear him. Now it shifts to the past tense. She's no longer praising God for his work in her life. She's broadening out out the text of her song to focus on the way that God has is and will work. Why does she do this? Why speak in the past tense, even while focusing on what God will do through her son? That doesn't make sense, does it? Why does she speak this way? I think because when God says he will do something, it's as good as already done. His promises always come with a guarantee of fulfillment. She's saying, God, if you've done this for me, you've given this miraculous conception, you will do all you've promised through your son. God always works, but he doesn't always work in the ways we expect him to. He will always be faithful to fulfill his promises to you, but he will seldom fulfill them in the way that you might expect. Or in a way that you could anticipate. God is a God of surprising, redemptive creativity. And Mary praises him for that. Next, our praise should be anchored in the gospel. Mary recognizes in this hymn that her favorable status, her blessing comes only because of God's surprising and sovereign grace. This is the nature of the gospel. This is why she calls him her savior and herself his servant. This is a gospel pattern. God acts out of his own self-giving nature to embrace those that the world ignores, who the world minimizes or pushes away. He remembers. He pays attention. He acts. One author noted that this hymn is a revolutionary blueprint of divine favor. It is a hymn of the powerless. Of unexpected, undeserved grace. It declares not just who God is, but is focused on what God does for those who fear him. In most religions, a meeting with God requires the low to ascend to the high. For sinners to become saints, to behave, to be religious. But this hymn demonstrates a reversal of all religious expectations, doesn't it? It is God on high who condescends to the low, who himself comes to this woman, this young woman, this nobody. He sees mankind in his need and comes to meet that need in compassion and humility and love. And no one, no one's beyond his notice if they will humble themselves before him. So the point in this passage again Is God in His grace? Mary understands who she is, undeserving of God's kindness, and that is the key point in finding our joy and our contentment this Christmas. So, what is your perspective on life this morning? Are you on this path of humility and trust, or on the path of pride and independence? How do you view God's grace in your life? Have you been taking it for granted? Have you paid attention to him this season? This passage leads us both to repentance and praise. We're to see the ways that we've been arrogant in the way that we've lived, in the way that we've ignored him, in the way that we've been independent of him. And it urges us to turn in repentance and humility. God is wise and unlike any other God, Mary sings. Here we see ourselves as those who so often live in that arrogant dependence. Our Kent Hughes writes again, no doubt we have sometimes wondered why so many people who have the opportunity to know Christ never benefit from his grace. The answer is they make no serious effort to do so. To them it seems like too much work. They don't have the time to spare. There are more important things like their favorite sports teams or the theater or golf. Having no hunger for God They're sent away empty. Yet God offers grace to any who will turn to him in faith. So our text urges us, like Mary, to magnify our God, who graciously and powerfully acts on behalf of the humble. Could I encourage you to take some time over the next several days and walk through this text again? Highlight the character and actions of God as you do so. These truths about him will help refocus your heart and mind on his grace to you. This isn't just to be Mary's song. It's to be ours as well. If you don't know Christ this morning, God offers you this path of peace. It doesn't matter if you've professed to be a Christian for a long time. Do you know him? It requires that you see yourself in your need. It requires you to turn to Jesus Christ from your sin. It offers you the greatest joy you'll ever know or experience no matter what circumstances that he's allowed into your life. This is the opportunity, the offer of a relationship with God himself. Now, this text models for us. It encourages us to embrace two attitudes this Christmas season. First, no matter what challenges or hardships, whether you're discouraged or distracted, you can find joy and comfort in the truth that God has intervened in human history. God Himself entered into this world as a human being, He became man, He took on the form of a servant to rescue sinners. God's work on behalf of sinners through Christ is to fuel your joy this season and every season. Secondly, this passage demonstrates those to whom God pays attention. He's looking for those who will humbly hear and believe his word. He's eager to act on behalf of those who hunger and thirst for him. Not just the forms of Christianity, but truly for him? Where is your heart this morning? Do you long to know him, this God that Mary knows so well and sings about? Is her song describing your heart? Are you wholehearted in your pursuit of him, in your praise? So the two overriding question questions this text encourages us to consider. Can you sing Mary's song? Have you trusted in Mary's Savior? Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we rejoice in Christ who came for sinners. You rejoice in the revelation of a God who gives mercy to the needy, who pursues the helpless, who rescues those who are in slavery to their sin. Father, I pray that as we see the person that you pursue, one who is humble, willing to receive your grace, who recognizes their need. We're reminded of Jesus' words when he said that he's not come to heal those who believe they have no need of the physician, but those who understand they're sick. Christ said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, may that describe us this morning as your people. Lord, if there's one who does not know you, may they settle that most important question even this morning. This description of who God is can be their God if they'll turn to him from their sin. So give us grace as we hear and apply these words to our hearts. Give us grace to consider the most important aspect of Christmas is that God has come to save us. We rejoice in that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' birth is to us a humble and undeserving gift of love. What a savior, what a friend. What a glorious mystery. Let's stand as we sing.